Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Cricketers Playbook podcast, the second episode of SC Playbook's newest podcast. I'm your host, Tim Williams. Just a quick refresh from our first episode. A couple of things about what the Cricketers Playbook podcast is all about uh, so obviously SC Playbook being pretty heavily fantasy focused in the past. We love it. There's a few pretty switched on melons that know the game too among us. So we're expanding to general cricket content in 2024. The aim of the podcast, basically we want to be the T20 of podcasting. We want to keep you informed about all the big debates in the game. Help fuel your pub debates with your mates. So give you a bit of ammo when you go toe to toe with a mate about whether Steve Smith should or shouldn't be opening the batting for Australia. We'll give you every argument and how to beat it panel I'm about to once again introduce to you and myself, we're absolute cricket nuffs. We love the game. We love to follow what's going on around the world. We want to know how Glenn Maxwell went in the Vitality Blast in England. If Sean Abbott went any good in the county cricket season. Of course, how Faf Duplessis went in the Abu Dhabi T10 tournament. You hate to not know that sort of stuff. Uh, but it's hard to do because there's so much cricket around the world. So many competitions, both domestic and international. So we're going to recap all the best performances across the world each week and have a bit of fun in the process, making sure we keep out the boring stuff and focus on the highlight real moments. Enough out of me, you guys. My first guest and a regular on the Cricketers Playbook podcast. Cricket Australia commentator, former Sydney Sixers media manager. As any playbook regular would know, he's got the cricketing, cricketing IQ of Ricky Ponting. Maxi Bryden. Maxi, welcome back, mate. G'day, Tim. Um, man, I should have been prepared again for that Ricky Ponting line. Maybe uh, I've got him if he's had a lot to drink. Um, but apart from that... Um, Man, I'm just really happy to be here. I feel like, uh, as Ravi Shastri said, you could step around the corner and take a dump and miss so much in cricket. So uh, I'm happy to be here and recap it all for the listeners. Quick side note, uh, Maxi, how good has Ravi Shastri been in commentary? He is a bloody legend. Man, I think there's it's been a real blast uh, having commentators from all over the world, not only on the mm. Aussie coverage, but on the Indian uh, and uh, South Africa series as well. Um, adding a lot of flavour, a lot of stories, adding a bit of interest as well in some summers that threaten to be a little bit boring. So it's good to have some different yarns and some different voices on the airwaves. Yeah, loved it. Our next guest, famous not only for his attempted crowd catches at the Marsh Cup, but also winning back-to-back AFL Grand Final mascot races as Woofer, the Western Bulldogs mascot. Considers himself a pretty funny fella. Look, I've got my reservations still. What I do know, though, is that he knows his cricket inside out and back to front. Hammy Goodman. Hammy, welcome, mate. Timmy, happy new year. Look, I usually don't like to let the truth get in the way of a good story, but I have to pick you up on something. That it wasn't actually a grand final mascot race. Oh, it no. was the EJ Witten Legends game, uh, the celebrity game. So it was the halftime of that. Um, still, only mascot to ever go back-to-back. 
Uh, no big deal. Stop bringing it up. But uh, yeah, that was me. 2012, 2013 as Woofer, the Western Bulldogs mascot. So nice little trip down memory lane to kick off your 2024. Mate, as a bloke who, you know, inf- infamously across Australia, well known uh, for being the bloke who, who dropped a cup at the Marsh Cup, dropped a catch at the Marsh Cup. You were meant to be at work, called out, uh, got in strife for it, 12 months, the toughest of your life. You went back, you took mm-hmm. the catch the following year, the redemption redemption story. Um, as winning the mascot race back-to-back as Wolfar, the Western Bulldog, which one ranks as the better career highlight? Just just listening to both those highlights sort of back-to-back, I am getting a bit emotional, so I'll do my best <laughs> to, to keep it together through the show. But... Um, uh, I would have to say the catch um, takes the cake for me there. I just think, uh, you know, that sometimes they say you've got to lose one before you win one. Wasn't the case for me in the mascot race. Was the case with the, uh, the catch. So I think just having to go away, work on a few things, think about it, mull on it for a whole 12 months and come back a better crowd catcher for it. Um, I think overcoming the adversity probably for me, that, that makes it stand out above the, uh, the mascot stuff, which, which came very naturally to me. Mate, there, there was a bit of uh, controversy, obviously, around it when you went back-to-back in the race. And I know yep. a lot of the other mascots said that you took it too seriously. You know, the, the starting gun and yep. going, people doing cartwheels. And Wolfa, you know, you had a quicker reaction time than Usain Bolt off the mark. And, you mm. know, did you did you just think, oh, I've got nothing more to achieve? Was it the pressure of the other mascots that saw you uh, give up the costume? Uh, I just think there was nothing more. For, what else was there to do as a mascot? I did look. I did attempt the three Pete, um, and I don't know if there's actually footage of this. There's footage of the, the two wins, but the other mascots conspired against me, and they actually uh, tackled, like attacked me and tackled me. So I was I was actually ruled out of the race early. I would like to have thought that the stewards would have had a good look at that, but uh, in the spirit of the EJ Witten game, which is um, you know, I mean, the umpiring's a little bit, they like to let the game flow, and I think that was the case in the mascot race too, so unfortunately, um, I wasn't able to get the three-peat. I think for me, yeah, I'd done all there was to do, so that, that's that's basically why I hung up the suit. It also didn't pay that well, and uh, I'd finished uni and I was ready for a full-time gig in the real world. That's that's basically what it came down to. Yeah, much like the Perth Scorchers, mate, you're about to fall just short of the three-peat. <laughs> Boys, on today's show, the appeal, Maxi and Hammy go head-to-head debating whether or not Steve Smith opening the batting for Australia, replacing David Warner, was the right call. We're going to call a spade a spade. Does Australian cricket have mm. to do everything it can to avoid another summer of Pakistan and the West Indies? We will preview that West Indies series preview with a look in particular at the squad that has come out and the players to look out for. We're also going to discuss the abhorrent test squad named by South Africa to tour with New Zealand, uh, the impact that that will have on test cricket in South Africa. Uh, We're going to look into the Big Bash. We're getting close to finals time. We're going to give our predictions for who wins that. We're also going to discuss the integrity of the competition, whether or not it's diminished uh, in certain ways by losing players like Colin Munro, Sam Billings, Chris Lynn, head of big finals campaigns. We know that there's so much cricket around the world. You can't have everyone for all of it, but it really does hurt. It kills me a side like the Brisbane Heat this year who have um, defied a few odds and they've been outstanding, going to lose a few of their key men. David Warner is getting a chopper in on the same day as his brother's wedding onto Allianz Stadium to play the Sydney Smash. Actually, I've actually seen reports that he might actually be flying onto the Sydney cricket ground. The plans have changed onto his logo from his farewell test. It could not be any more Dave Warner. We're going to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down to that one. How many is actually going to be at that fixture tonight? Uh, we then go into the best performance. We want to miss that. Yeah, good. <laughs> good one, no. 
We then go into the best performances in world cricket over the past week to name our world team of the week. We're going to see which country leads the Hall of Nations leaderboard. England are currently the front runners at the moment and dead set, that makes me feel crook. So hopefully we can overcome that and get a new nation in front. I know Bangladesh got a vote last round, so hopefully they can jump them. Uh, we also have an extremely special guest on today's show, informant New Zealand test cricketer and world-renowned commentator Simon Dool, who gives us his rundown on the IPL auction and whether he thinks Pat Cummings was dudded going for less than good mate Mitch Stark. Some good insights on that one. Boys, let's get into it. Enough out of me. The appeal, Steve Smith opening the bat for Australia for the West Indian series. Options, they've got Cameron Green expected to now bat at number four. Marcus Harris misses out. Another of big names uh, missed out. Cameron Bancroft, of course. Maxie, I'll start with you, mate. Love it, hate it. What, do you think the right decision was made by George Bailey in the selection panel? Do I think the right decision was made? No, I, I don't think that. And to be frank, I find the whole situation a little bit weird. Basically, you've got a professional athlete, Steve Smith, who's been playing for Australia, playing at the top of his game for almost a decade, could be even more, who's now come out and saying that he's almost bored and needs a new challenge just to try and stay, feel invigorated in test cricket. It feels a bit strange that a guy who's paid handsomely and has performed so well in the past needs this kind of motivation late in his season. And beyond that, yes, you can sit here and say that opening in the batting in the Australia isn't as tough as opening the batting in England or in India or even in a country like New Zealand where it's seeming and swinging. But how is this tactic helping prepare us for those tougher challenges playing overseas in those conditions? Right now, we could be using this time to unearth the next test opener for Australia who could be batting for the next two, three to five years. But in this project, it feels like a stopgap that Steve Smith has put himself into. For that reason, I don't love it. It's interesting around uh, the decision to do so, and and in particular, Smithy saying, you know, wanting a challenge at this stage of his career, whatever it might be, because I saw a statistic the other day, and we know that just about every great test cricketer regresses at the back end of their year, their career, and you see their stats go from 60 average down to the early to mid-50s at absolute best. Uh, and I saw that at the same stage of their career, I think, Smithy has gone just below that of Ricky Ponting, who had a tough last two years of his career, give or take the, the odd series. So he's backing himself, which is very admirable. Hammy, where do you sit on the whole thing? I know you're, you're Ken Green's number one fan. He's expected to slot in at number four, where he's had a lot of success uh, for WA in Shield. So what do you think? First, I will say stiff for um, Cam Bancroft, you know, averaging 50 for the last couple of years, uh, topping the shield runs. Doesn't get a look in. Uh, but you've got to ask yourself the question, does the team look more dangerous with Smith and Bancroft in it or with Smith and Green in it? Uh, Cam Green, as you touched on, he averages 60 in Sheffield Shield cricket when batting at number four. He's the long-term successor. He's very young. He's had a pretty reasonable um, goal of it when he's, when he's been playing for Australia. Uh, we spoke about it earlier in the summer. Do you have to go Marsh or Green? I think they probably have made the right call. I'm happy to wear a bit of egg on my face there with Mitch Marsh at number six. This is a great way to get Cameron Green into the side. Um, Steve Smith is a quality player. No, he hasn't opened the batting before. His uh, returns have been diminishing a little bit at number four. And I think, you know, this could be an exciting way to get him going again a little bit. Um, he's been struggling, you know, been unsettled by a little bit of short stuff um, of, of recent times, which has brought about some pretty loose shots um, you know, through the, the last couple of tests. He's going to see more balls in his half with a new swinging ball, you would anticipate. Uh, he loves a ball in his half. He's got a great record when the ball is pitched up. So there's a few ingredients here, which for me, 
uh, make this an exciting opportunity to get Cam Green into the side. And look, it may work, it may not work. No better time, I don't think, to experiment with something like this than a home series against the West Indies, who, let's be honest, are not exactly world beaters. Two tests here, let's see if it works. If not, you know, there's some opportunities to um, to look elsewhere. But if it does work, you know, you've got a good opportunity to probably just like raise the, the stakes a little bit. We go to New Zealand, those conditions are a little bit more similar to an England or something like that. Can we get Steve Smith through the next couple of years as a test opener? Um, I think he's got the skills to do it. And I think he's got the skills to have some impact in some series that matter. So I like it. I agree, Hammy, in the sense that it is a great opportunity to do it and to experiment with that opening spot with two tests against West Indies on Australian soil that all in all we should be winning quite comfortably. My concern is that the later on you get in your test career, um, look, I'm not going to say I can speak from experience on this one, but from what I've seen <laughs> in the past is that you know your eyes start to go, don't they? Your timing's a little bit off. You're not seeing the ball as well. So now that Smith goes to the top of the order where the ball is going to start moving more off the deck, swinging, all that sort of stuff, as Maxi alluded to, it's it doesn't make a lot of sense to me in that regard. Like you, you'll often see that a lot of these cricketers, they do the opposite. They'll, they'll drop further down the order to avoid that moving ball and get an older ball rather than going to the opening spot. Where does that sit with you, Hammy? Because it, it's a bit of concern on my end. Well, I mean, he's not 80 years old. He's, he's 34 <laughs> years old. Dave Warner's 37. He's just hung up the the um, the test match uh, baggy green. But I think, you know, I wouldn't be too concerned about his eyes completely going. Um, he's not playing those kind of, you know, uh, all, all conquering innings at number four that we, we kind of got used to for a little while. He obviously had a great 2019 uh, tour in the, in the UK. It just, it does feel like he's just stagnated a little bit. And look, I don't know if going to the top of the order solves that or anything. But, you know, if, if it gets him going, gets him interested again and, you know, something new to work on, I, I wonder whether at this time of his career he's definitely good enough to be in the team, but does this challenge give him something else to, you know, really get him going again? And as I mentioned, I just like how it balances the side out and gets Generation Next in because we're getting to a situation where we're probably going to lose a few bowlers in a couple of years. We're most likely going to use, lose a few batters at the same time. So we've got to find a way to get a couple of younger guys in there. Um, and I don't mind, uh, you know, I've said it before, I don't mind continuing to invest in green. So I like it. A bit of a, a controversial one, Maxi, but around around Cameron Bancroft and that opening spot, the infamous sandpaper gate scandal, do you believe deep down that that has impacted his selection or non-selection in this side? George Bailey naturally came out, head of selection, said that no, that it didn't. Of course, he's going to say that. And look, maybe he's right. Do you think it played a role in it or not? Because as you said, statistically speaking, the last few seasons in Shield, he was the obvious choice. I don't know if we'll ever truly know how much of an impact the Sandpaper Gate scandal has had on Bancroft's legacy and his ability to make it back into the test team. But what I do know is that right now, the Australian test team have got a short-term solution in order to keep Steve Smith in the team, get Cameron Green in there, that has potential long-term impacts on the whole pathway system within Australian cricket. Right now, we're looking at two openers in every Sheffield Shield team who are being told that they're not necessarily demonstrating the skills, even if they succeed, to get themselves into the test team and do what they do best. So while we might be having a good short-term solution, uh, we could be having longer-term issues with getting people into the Australian test team, getting them ready and building their confidence at the lower levels to come in and do the job at test level in the future. 
Hammy, you're all for uh, this move, in for the particularly for the immediate series. You're sort of talking in the long term. Are you with? Are you with Maxi in that it's going? It could be a little bit too detrimental to the message being sent to our state cricketers and our state openers. Obviously, in this scenario in particular, what sort of impact that that could have? Because it it is a concern, but at the end of the day, if you get runs, it should be enough. But in this case, it wasn't. Yeah, I actually think Maxie makes a pretty good point there. And as I said, I think Cameron Bancroft is stiff, not to at least not be in the squad. I think what probably got Renshaw over the line was his ability to bat in a range of positions, whereas Bancroft is just sort of just seen as exclusively an opener. Um, yeah, it is a good point because I think, you know, you've got what three guys there who have been uh, hovering around as the, the next in line. You've only got one of them in the squad and um, it wasn't the guy that scored the most runs. So you probably then go, well... That, that is sending a bit of an interesting message about what is the value of, we're told Sheffield Shield runs are the currency. And clearly in this instance, that's not the case. Team balance has become the, the currency. So it's it's an interesting question. I do feel like if, it, if this doesn't go particularly well, I, I, can, I can still see a world where potentially Cam Bancroft has a good end to the Shield season as, he, as he's had and is there in the, in the New Zealand um, tour squad. I don't think it's, I don't think this is the end for, for Cameron Bancroft at all, but um if if that's the case, then I think it sends a really bad message. But for for the, I wouldn't say it's a complete panic stations thing right now. As I say, if maybe if New Zealand were coming right now, would we go? Let's firm it up and go with a blue chip opening batsman. Let's let's go that way. But as we've got a bit of a chance to experiment here, you know, we're probably going to beat these guys two nil. Maybe a couple of two day tests anyway. Why not? You know, experiment with some stuff that you know might help the team get better for a lot. You know, for for the next little little period. Mm. The uh, the omission of Marcus Harris didn't surprise me, and I'm certainly okay with it, boys. But uh, Ben Cameron from the ABC, I should say, uh, said on Twitter, X, I believe they're calling it these days, I feel greatly for Marcus Harris in all of this. He hasn't been able to put up Gaudi stats for the last year or two because he's been too busy mixing sports drinks and running gloves as the next in line as part of the Australian setup. Lost a little bit in the debate. Maxie, he makes a point. Uh, around Marcus Harris and a lack of opportunities because he's been around that squad. How do you feel about that? And has he been dotted a little bit with uh, a lack of opportunities at times? Yeah, well, look, firstly, uh, no one would be shocked to hear a West Australian journalist standing up for a <laughs> proud West Australian product. Um, but secondly, look, I, I think he has. Um, and I think that it's sort of a, a an unusual quirk that's come into the game in the last four years or so since they introduced concussion subs that you need to have your next best batter on standby for the Australian test team at all times. Now, in the past, we would have had batters let go to go play in the Big Bash if they weren't needed in the actual test match um, or let go to play in tour matches. But unfortunately, Marcus Harris's time around the test squad has just culminated in a period where he's got to be there sitting on the bench, ready to go at a moment's notice. I mean, people forget that that's how Manus Labuschagne really made a name for himself over in England in that 2019 series was being that next that next cab uh, uh, ready to go at the rank. Um, unfortunately, and, and, and fortunately in many ways, Marcus hasn't had his opportunity to come into the test team for that reason. And so, yeah, he's mixed a lot of cordial. Um, but is he done it? I don't think so. I think this is just now the modern game because uh, Renshaw is very much likely to be now fulfilling this same role for the next couple of weeks and potentially miss himself a big bash final for the Brisbane Heat. Boys, moving on uh, in topics and going to call a spade a spade and it's what we're all thinking in Australia over this test summer. Thankfully, Pakistan put up 
somewhat of a fight, I guess, more than expected, uh, certainly the Boxing Day test. Pakistan putting up a fight still resulted in a 3-0 series loss. There was an eight-wicket win, a 79-run win, and a 360-run victory. Three, two-and-a-half, let's say, very comprehensive wins, and that was them putting up a fight. So basically my question for you, and I'll start with you, Maxie, do Australian cricket have to do everything they can to avoid another summer of Pakistan and West Indies and these weaker test-playing nations? Because we understand that everyone should get an opportunity and do the right things, but times have changed. You know, the focus is, is going off test cricket. But we saw even with crowds so far through, through the Pakistan series that there's obviously still the appetite for it in Australia. And if we can get more tests against, be it probably not England because we've got plenty as it is, but India, South Africa, whoever it might be, we just need to do it. Uh, what are your thoughts? I think Cricket Australia is in a bit of a difficult position with all of this because firstly, the future tours programs means that we have to play a certain amount of nations within our test cycle to get points, make the finals. Um, Australia's also sort of got that obligation to do our bit for world cricket by giving these guys a game. Yeah. And you heard Sean Massoud come out post-match uh, in that series and say that the Pakistan team might not now be playing test cricket for 10 months, which is which is a, a huge break in the calendar. And if we're not you know, giving them a game, there's not a, a, a large amount of countries that are. Um, but do we have to do more to save test cricket within this country and keep people interested? I think we are. And I think that we remain, that we should remain, we'll continue doing that. I think one of the things that's a very underrated aspect of how we're doing this at the moment is by preparing good pitches. I mean, it was only a couple of years ago that the MCG was given a poor rating um, for a test match where, you know, it was almost impossible to take a wicket. It basically ended the test career of Jackson Bird. But by having a sporting deck that really brought both teams into the game for Boxing Day, um, SCG to a lesser extent because it's quite unpredictable, it's quite up and down, but still very sporting. It does actually make for good cricket that gives both teams a genuine chance. And it is those matches that are entertaining, that gives both teams a bit of a sniff, that is going to keep test cricket well and alive, not only in this country, but around the world. Yeah, some interesting points you make there. And, and Hammy, it, it couldn't be any less black and white. There are so many factors that go into this decision to have a summer against lower tier not lower tier test nations, Pakistan on home soil and to their own right have been very good at times, but coming down here, the results, you know, we know where it's going to go. But for the sake of the Australian side and our squad, did, you know, does, it, does the tough business decision, I suppose, need to be made where they try and avoid these series and more needs to be done? Or do you think the Australian um, cricket board have a – have a duty to, to world cricket, uh, like Maxie said, to, to host these series, particularly against a uh, side like the West Indies with limited opportunities these days. As Maxie also alluded to, you know, the World Test Championships, that has a role in it because we need to accrue these points for it. So that's important too. But bums on seats, eyes on the television, that is more important in a lot of ways. Where do you sit on it all? Yeah, I think uh, Maxi makes a good point. You've got to be a good global citizen, particularly with cricket, test cricket on the decline. You've got to keep people interested and, and give them a game and let them play at these great facilities and all that sort of thing. I do think West Indies two years in a row is a bit of a clanger, if I'm completely honest. I, I think uh, particularly given how uncompetitive they were last time, having them two summers in a row is a bit a bit much to take as a as an Aussie cricket fan. Maybe we could have had a look. There's a couple of other test nations we haven't played a lot in recent times. Maybe Sri Lanka, maybe have been a little bit more competitive. Another 
nation we haven't had out here for 20-odd years is Bangladesh as well. Um, I know they don't play a lot of test cricket. Does that solve the problem of the competitive stuff? Potentially not. Sri Lanka, probably yes. Um, but I do I do think, yeah, two years in a row of the West Indies was a little bit stiff. I think we should be playing more test cricket, actually, against some of these nations, Timmy. Um, yeah. The ones that, we you know, we, we might beat more comprehensively. But I, I'd love to find another point in the calendar to play them. I remember yeah. many years ago they, they did the top-end tests and took test cricket up to North Queensland and Darwin, different parts of the country, played against some of the, um, you know, nations that are maybe a little bit less um, competitive. And, you know, now with busy IPL schedules and things like that and other tournaments around the world, maybe you have got some of your best players off playing in that, but you can put a few of these guys that are just on the fringe into the test side and, and get a bit more cricket into them. Um, obviously, you want to keep it as the premium product, but maybe that's a solution. I don't know. But, yeah, I guess in a nutshell, I want to play these sides more, but maybe not when I'm hungriest for my cricket um, over the summer. I think that's a really fair take, mate. Um, if they can, yeah, find a time to do it at different stages of the year and, Give so many of the blokes that we speak about, uh, I've already spoken about on the podcast, a, a guy like Cameron Bancroft against test playing nations. They still get them in the calendar. Gives you know nations like the West Indies, like Sri Lanka, opportunities to play down here and expand the game and play test cricket. Um, you know, play it at different venues. It's still going to be healthily received. But as you said, Hammy, the point is around the Australian summer where we just have this um, enormous thirst for top-line competitive cricket. So maybe that's the answer. Maxie, anything to add there or do we move on? No, look, Hammy, I think you put it quite diplomatically and I think the point is that, yes, it sucks having to play the West Indies two years in a row, but how do these teams actually get better if we're not prepared to have them over here for a game? I think there's two things we've got to do. We've got to play more test cricket and I really like your idea of playing more games in the off-season and the top end against some of these sides. The other thing we've got to try and figure out is how these boards can stop their best players from chasing T20 money around the world because when you look at the list of fantastic West Indian cricketers who are earning a buck in the ILT20 instead of running around in our backyard, um, it's, it's a list of names that would walk into that team and instantly make it a lot more competitive. So two problems to solve, I think, more cricket and helping them get more money in their coffers so that they can keep these players uh, well fed uh, for their national team. And that's it, isn't it? Like it, the West Indies are the prime example and there are so many um, issues going on with West Indian cricket over the last one to two decades. Their best talent coming out here would still make for a reasonable series, but we're not getting their best talent. And, you know, that's the players that come out, they're doing their best, but their best talent, their best 11 in world cricket, I wish we could see that. But, you know, we're hosting them in a series and we're not even getting their best 11, which is frustrating. But, again, that's uh, opening a whole new can of worms that we don't have time to go into on this podcast, at least not today, maybe for another day. Boys, on to that West Indian series starting next week. We'll look from both sides. And firstly, from the Australian point of view, Hammy, again, a series we should be winning quite comfortably without too, too many hassles. What do we get out of this series? And more importantly, Going into it, what are we looking to achieve? Yeah, well, I think the, the key thing we're looking to achieve is can Steve Smith become a test opener? That's that's what, you know, the Australian cricket team want to see out of this. Um, can Cameron Green come back in and score some runs at number four? Those are the two things that I think we want out of this uh, series. A little bit of chat around, do you give a game to a Lance Morris or a bowler who's been around the squad Surely. a little bit? My, what seems to me like with some of these bowlers getting towards the end of their career – they're very um, apprehensive to give up a game. They want to play as much test cricket as they can. They've, they've all put it first for such a long time. Um, 
I actually wouldn't be surprised if we don't see a, another bowler get a run um, through the summer. And if they do, maybe it's a guy like Scott Boland who is probably feeling the effects a little bit of Marcus Harris. He's just kind of sitting there running towels and drinks and gloves around. Hasn't been bowling, hasn't been playing, you know, really any big bash, um, apart from the odd game here or there. So I don't think we'll see too much change. I just think we're going to want to see the top four and the, uh, the new reconfiguration of it work. I think that's the goal for Australia out of this series. Yeah, Maxie, obviously the same question for you. And on that point around the bowling rotations, I, I lean towards similar to Hammy in that I don't know if we are going to see too much change there. But, you know, looking towards the next generation of Australian cr- cricketers and the enormous depth we have in our quick bowling ranks, it's got to be an opportunity to plug some of these guys and give them a bit of a crack, doesn't it? I mean, it seems like one, but again, I don't think we're going to see one unless there's a genuine injury uh, or risk of burnout from from some of these players based on workloads, which unfortunately, you don't have to bowl a lot of overs sometimes when you're versing these lesser nations, so those workloads aren't creeping up. But When is there not a risk of burnout in, in world cricket these days, though? Like the amount of cricket they play, I thought this would be a great opportunity to give you know Mitch Stark or Paddy Cummins a week off. Maybe not Paddy Cummins. Well, they go straight after this... Yeah, well, their, their time off is going to come during the one-day series, which uh, follows this this test series, which is going to have a, a number of guys on the on the fringes of the Australian teams uh, playing in it. Um, but then they've got to freshen up and get over to New Zealand. So I think that that's, that's the break that they'll be eyeing off because you imagine going up to Mitch Stark, all six-foot-five of him, staring him in probably the chest and saying, hey, mate, we're going to put you on the pine for this one and, and see what kind of reaction you get. I, I just don't think it's it's a realistic gonna uh, realistically going to happen unless there's an injury. George Bailey would tell him, just laugh at him and the mood would be, uh, the ice would be broken. It'd all be all right. He'd get over it. Um, <laughs> Maxi, on the West Indian side, tour match recently completed. What are the storylines we're looking out for with the West Indies coming into this two-test series? Yeah, well, man, I thought I'd jump into five guys who I know have caught my attention. Um, some of them are names that you would be familiar with and some of them are names that you will be familiar with after this series, of course. But I think that for the West Indies to go any well, uh, a lot is going to rest on the shoulders of their uh, opening quicks. Uh, the first is a bloke called Kemar Roach, who Australians will remember because he's been around really since the dawn of time, um, it seems. Um, he's still bowling uh, at the speed of wind. Um, and his opening partner in Alzari Joseph um, is another tall, really quick, fast bowler. Um, and these two, if anyone's going to trouble the Australian top order, uh, and make any breakthroughs and get into that middle order. Um, it's going to be Roach and Joseph, who I, I really like. Um, the third guy who is a bit of a stalwart within this West Indian team uh, is the skipper in Craig Brathwaite, who came out here last season with a bit of a reputation. Um, he's really one of their best batters. Um, and I think that if, again, West Indies are going to do any well, uh, then he's going to have to be a big part of it. Um, he did score a 50 in the first innings of the tour match as well, that Karen Rolton Oval uh, in South Australia, one of the flattest pitches in the country. That's a fantastic way to tune up for a test series against Australia. Uh, so he showed a little bit of ticker and a bit of form there. Uh, his opening partner in that match was a guy who debuted out here in Australia last season, which was uh, Chanderpaul, um, uh, Tajnareen Chanderpaul, the son of the great Shiv, 
Uh, I know Shiv, one of my favourite players to play with in Shane Warne cricket, 1999, uh, and, and most famous for sort of doing the reverse George Bailey batting yeah, stance yeah. where he was uh, the most open uh, to the crease of all time. Uh, and his son's got just a little bit of that action as well, which we love. Um, the other guy who's had a ripping tool match with two half centuries and bowled a little bit as well was Carvam Hodge. Looks like he'll play in the middle order um, if he gets a game. Uh, also rolled the arm over uh, in that innings as well uh, against the Cricket Australia 11 um, and looks a good player. He ended up finishing that game uh, 95 not out in the second inning. So um, coming into a bit of form. So keep your eye out for Hodge in the middle order. Yeah, I think every uh, West Indian youngster in the world trialled out that Shivnarayan Chander Paul open stance. I actually gave a crack too for for all of about two games. You'd be stunned to know that I didn't have the eye for it and it didn't succeed. So I uh, moved on <laughs> to that to a more traditional stance uh, not long after. Um, Matt, all those players to look out for, as we know with West Indian cricket, talent's not an issue. There's a lot of ability in mm. these players. They're absolute athletes. Uh, whether or not they can put it together on the test scene and on Australian soil, time will tell. Hammy, what are you looking out for, mate? Well, I think all those names are, are spot on. Maxi, looking forward to seeing them. Kemar Roach, 35 years of age now. Um, I just wonder whether he might be looking for a new challenge in Test cricket. I wonder whether they might let him open the batting at some stage during the series just to, <laughs> just to get him going again a little bit. I do worry about a team that where the spearhead of the attack is the 35-year-old bloke who, you know, I feel like we've seen him out here four or five times. Um, but he's, he's had a couple of good county seasons and um, can clearly still get the job done. So I'm looking forward to seeing him. Joseph as well. He's actually got the best bowling figures in IPL history. Six for 12 he took uh, in a game there a couple of years ago. Uh, and it gets him down real quick as well. So looking forward to seeing uh, what he brings to the table. Uh, and that battle, him against Smith, should be interesting as well with the uh, with the new ball. The other bloke, who I wanted to quickly touch on was just the wicketkeeper, Josh De Silva. Um, played a pretty disgusting shot in the first innings at Karen Rolton. I think he made four off 19, and it's almost like he was casting a fishing line and he got caught at mid-off uh, <laughs> to a short ball. But yeah, he, they moved him to the top of the order in the second innings. He opened the batting and he made 105 um, off 158 balls, very patient. So um, I wonder where they might find a spot for him um, in, in the batting lineup as well. He, he's a guy that I've, I've always liked. Um, he's exciting takes the game on a little bit. Um, so Josh De Silva is probably the other name that I'm looking for. But that said, I do think it'll be a pretty uncompetitive series. I'm actually going to the first two days of the Adelaide Test. I've actually got to leave the ground at T um, on day two to get my flight, and I wonder whether it might be all done and dusted by the time <laughs> I've got to jump in the Uber, to be honest. You get to more yeah, cricket. Only last and- week, I think we saw the shortest test match of all time over in uh, South Africa. We could have, a, could have a new record on hand if the pitch has got a bit in it. Yep. Hammy, you have a either a very patient partner or one that absolutely loves a cricket on the amount of cricket that you get to attend. It's definitely the second one there, Timmy. Um, I just I <laughs> said to you boys in the green room before we jumped on today that I've actually just come from a week in Tassie. Mon ran a marathon. Uh, we stuck around for a couple of days afterwards and unfortunately I had to come home before the blockbuster last night, the Canes versus the Strikers at Bell Reeve Oval. <laughs> we did go to the Tassie Cricket Museum two days before. Uh, she said it was one or the other and I stand by my choice. So, um, yeah, she, she does not like cricket. It's definitely the second option that you had there, Timmy. Can't win them all, mate. Uh, guys, the <laughs> South African test squad named to travel to New Zealand. Seven debutants. Hammy was actually named in the travelling squad as cover for that one, uh, such <laughs> as the Slim. Tapping into South African heritage there, a long way down the line, Hammy. 
it clashes. I'm actually going to be mascotting for them. (laughs) (laughs) And running between between wickets when required. Clashing, (laughs) that series clashes with uh, the CSA's domestic T20 tournament over in South Africa, of course, uh, which is seen as vital to the future health of the organisation. So they've said that it's a one-off scenario, the South African Cricket Board. They say that it was a scheduling issue. It won't be happening again. Uh, the quote out of them was that once it became apparent that there would be a clash, we made every effort to find another mutually suitable time slot for this series in consultation with NZ Cricket. Regrettably, the constraints imposed by the global cricket calendar rendered this impossible as the games must be played before April 2025 as part of the World Test Championships. David Bettingham and Keegan Peterson are the only players from that side that recently beat India uh, in that test match that are heading over. So I suppose the question is, uh, Maxi, what sort of impact does this have? Are are you buying the reasoning for it all? Um, Is it concerning for test cricket in South Africa? Is it purely a scheduling issue that it is a one-off? How do you uh, perceive it all? It sucks because I love Test Cricket and I want Test Cricket to be the most competitive format. But Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. In a way, just thinking about the economics of it, it sort of makes sense. And I hate agreeing with it. The fact is that we sit here in Australia with a cricket economy that is absolutely thriving. Um, the professional athletes in Australia who are cricketers playing for New South Wales, playing for South Australia, playing for Western Australia are some of the highest paid athletes of any code in the country. And yes, that number is pumped up because the guys who pull on the baggy green are earning significantly more than um, you know your NRL superstars and your AFL superstars. But we're really lucky and blessed with a fantastic economy and the opposite is true in South Africa. Before India... Uh, an Indian private money came in and propped up that T20 tournament, which is kicked off this week as well. Uh, They tried 12 months earlier to start a T20 tournament that fell over because they just did not have the funds. So for South African cricket to survive and to continue to produce players to play test cricket, they need their domestic system to be working. And that was the sacrifice that they were unwilling to make uh, in order to get a test tour uh, over to New Zealand. So as much as I hate it, it's it's understandable from a South African perspective. Um, am I going to be watching it? No, I don't think it's going to be very good. Um, but I'd hope that this is the last time that we uh, that we see this out of the South African national team. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, money talks at times, mate, and this is obviously one of those examples. And and hard to argue with the points. And as you said, the uh, the reason they they've gone with uh, making this decision, Hammy. 
do you see it the same way? Are, are you content with the decision? Obviously, it's a shame for Test cricket fans around the world, especially for the New Zealanders uh, who get the series there. How do you see it? Yeah, concerning. I think uh, given you know, particularly given. Obviously, they got rolled in the second test at, at full strength, but they beat India, you know, in, in the first game, you know, you know, and they did them pretty um, convincingly, you know, by an innings and and whatever it m- might have been. So, it, yeah, this is a real shame to see it kind of come to this. Not unexpected, it has to be said. Um, and I mean, these guys have got to earn a living, haven't they? Really, um, but it's it's a real shame. I think New Zealand will, will walk this one in, and you know, we've got Neil Brand there, the captain, uh, on debut as well of the squad. Uh, first time that's happened in Test cricket, I think, since the mid '90s. Someone in New Zealand name escapes me was the last uh, to do it. But yeah, this is a real shame. Interesting to see how this has been managed compared to uh, the situation in Afghanistan at the moment, where if uh, players don't want to put the national team first, they're actually having their no objection certificates torn up, and they're not allowed to play in tournaments around the world. Um, I don't think that's right either, uh, for the record. But it's interesting to see how different, you know nations around around the place are are tackling this issue um of putting the national team first and keeping test cricket as kind of the, the premium product uh not a great result for the purists but one i think you know a lot of people probably saw coming uh leading into it which is a shame yeah a bugger for us all wanted to watch that series still watch it but uh with a little bit less interest hopefully the second tier saffers can put up a little bit of a fight there boys Speaking of detrimental, the Big Bash League, it's been an awesome tournament so far. I do feel the integrity takes a little bit of a hit in losing players for the finals. Now, we all understand why. There's money around the world in other tournaments. Players, you know, particularly like a Quint de Kock going home, players going all over the shop. Mid-tournament, I don't mind it, but it really hurts this time around when you see someone like the Brisbane Heat who... Had a lot of question marks over them this season. They're undefeated, going into the finals red hot, and they lose stars like Sam Billings and Colin Munro for the finals. The Strikers with a big win last night. They're on track for the finals. Chris Lynn is going to be gone for the finals campaign as well. They shorten the season uh, this year to try and keep players in the tournament for longer and avoid this issue as much as possible. Hammy, it it hurts as a fan of Australian cricket and the Big Bash tournament, which we watch also closely in general. I guess it's probably unavoidable, but it, it hurts. It hurts as a cricket fan down under. Well, look, I mean, yeah, you, you just don't want the most important games devoid of the best players. Um, but I, it's pretty unavoidable for a while there. Um, the only worry was losing the national players to the national team, but we, we went, that's all good. We've got all these international imports. They'll carry the, uh, competition through to the end, but now they're all leaving for more lucrative uh, competitions around the world. So what's the solution? It's more money, um, but we just don't have it at the moment because the competition is owned by Cricket Australia. Uh, you know, in the states, they kind of run the run the franchises. What is the way to compete with that? You do you have to look at private investment? Um, maybe you do. And is there are there people probably willing? I mean, local millionaires, billionaires, willing to put their cash into it, you know, is the interest there from their perspective to make it kind of a viable business decision? I don't know. I'm not a billionaire, unfortunately, believe it or not, but um, <laughs> I would say potentially not. So who then looks at it and thinks, yeah, we'd like to control this competition. Maybe it is uh, like we're seeing elsewhere in the world, 
uh, Indian Premier League franchise owners? And do, does Cricket Australia want you know that kind of stranglehold on their game? You know, from from that part of the world who seems to be running running basically everything at the moment, I would say probably not. So, is there a neat solution to this? No, but um, I think the Big Bash is in a little bit of a spot of bother because if you can't hang on to those big imports because they're going elsewhere and you can't get your big stars domestically in there, you're never going to have a really strong world-class competition and particularly a world-class finish to it when it really matters, the games that matter at the pointy end. So I don't know. That's that's basically the lay of the land, but I don't know. I don't really know what the best solution is. Yeah, no, interesting options thrown out there, mate. And shout out um, Twiggy Forest, a big investor in sport in Australia, Gina Reinhart, both big uh, Cricketers Playbook fans and listeners of the podcast. The other one, the other, one the, the other billionaire you've left off there, Timmy, is, is Kempi. Does he want to come in and buy one of these franchises? <laughs> and um, and I, I know he's a big Brisbane Heat fan. Um, yeah. Maybe he's one to have a look at it. Kempi of bloke in a bar, notoriety, yeah, big chance that uh, as one of the, the big hitters in Australian media scene, he might even get back in and, uh, and fund the BBL and that expansion to keep the players here. Jen Reinhart, a bit of netball money yeah. to play around with, so she might be keen. So we'll uh, we'll see how we go on that one. Max, it's just he, it's just walking yeah. around money for uh, for Kempi. She's <laughs> <laughs> hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> uh, Maxi, what about yourself? Yeah, look. I'll miss Colin Munro and I'll miss James Vince, uh, Alex Hales. But what's wrong with giving a local a shot? You know, the, the good thing about these imports leaving is that it gives a chance for one of our domestic players to really step into the huge shoes and see what they can do on the big stage. I mean, last year, you can only got to cast your mind back to that grand final. I mean, apart from hardcore supercoach BBL players, who knew Cooper Connolly's name? But then all of a sudden, the uh, 20-year-old from Perth with the mullet before they were cool uh, was smashing sixes and, and making a name for himself. So while we miss it, I think personally that I'm fine with it. Yeah, no, it's a good uh, positive way of looking at it, mate, and you can get caught up in it, the money and the losing the plays and all that, but still a great tournament and very much looking forward to the finals. Boys, we will do a bigger dive into the BBL finals next week just before they start on the podcast, um, but just a quick prediction on who wins it from here. As we said, the Brisbane Heat undefeated. They've been outstanding this season, losing a few key players. Scorchers currently sitting in second. Surprise, surprise. Sixers in third, so nothing too different to previous years. Strikers, big win last night into fourth. Stars into fifth on eight points, which really gets a little bit interesting. Hurricanes, they're in all sorts. Thunder, Renegades, gone. Hammy, who wins it? Uh, Heat can't do it. Losing too many key players at a, at a tough time of the year. Scorchers, I think, are going to be tough to beat for the three-peat. My Smokies, uh, the Adelaide Strikers. Uh, I like the three spinners they've got in the uh, attack at the moment. Short, um, Pope and Boyce, uh, spinning a web down there for them. 13 bucks if you shop around for them as well. They're my smoky to win the uh, to win the tournament. I would have said you were mad uh, 24 hours ago because they had Jake Weatherall, who across his last, I put something up on our, our socials uh, this morning, his last 13 big bash knocks. He had one score of 35 and he hadn't got above, he hadn't got into double digits just about in any game in his last 13. Comes out last night, 80 off about 32 or something. I'm sure we'll get to that. Pretty shortly, yep. though. So I'll leave that for your Big Bash recap in the World Team of the Week, mate. Fair chance he might feature Jakey Weatherall, but uh, Chris Lingo and Weatherall, who knows? Maxie, who have you got and why is it your beloved Sydney Sixers? 
<laughs> well, man, Hermiso's name just about half the competition um, in, in trying to pick his favourite. So, um, and, and I will go with the Sixers, and for the reason that um, Gold Coast Stadium, a traditional fortress for them, where they they might have to go and take on the uh, Brisbane Heat for a spot in that final if they can nail down second place. Um, that's one of the other talking points, of course. The Gabba will be unavailable uh, for the Brisbane Heat team uh, due to the Test match, so they'll have to play both of their finals on the on the Gold Coast, where the Sixers uh, was their home ground during the COVID year, and, and they played fantastically well up there. I uh, know the dimensions well, and um, some of their lesser lights came in, like Dan Hughes and, and Curtis Patterson had good games there. So I think the Sixers will do it. Thankfully for all of those three clubs at the top of the ladder, um, they're losing a few batters, but they're not losing their bowling attack, and we used to know that bowlers are what get us done in those championship overs. So I think the Sixers are as good a shout as those other three teams, but, geez, I can't wait to watch it all unfold. Yeah, the Scorchers could lose their front line four or five bowlers and they'd still have the best bowling attack in the competition. So it is bloody boring, but I'm going with the Perth Scorchers 3P. They're leaps and bounds above. Absolute guns at what they do as an organisation. Boys, before, their last topic before we get into our world team of the week, the world cricket recap, David Warner, chop it onto the Sydney Cricket Ground, hosting the Sydney Smash. It is the day of his brother's wedding. He has just retired from test cricket. On all reports, doesn't mind a beer, Davey Warner. You would think he'd be going new beauty, <laughs> let's celebrate. You know, his team can't make the finals in the Sydney Thunder, so why make the effort for it? He's getting dropped on to the Sydney cricket ground to play in this fixture. Hammy, I feel this is right in your wheelhouse. Thoughts, comments, concerns, David Warner, Chopper. Well, back in my playing days, um, I probably cost myself quite a few friends by having to leave things early for cricket. Um, and I just wonder, I don't know, I'm, I'm an only child. You obviously, you can't improve on perfection, so I don't have a brother whose <laughs> wedding I would have to miss for cricket. But I just wonder, uh, how's the relationship between Dave and his brother going to be after this one? It's not exactly like he's, uh, you know, he's played 300 games for the Sydney Thunder and they mean everything to him. He drops in and out when, as and when he can. Um I don't know. That one seems very strange to me. I'm, to be a fly on the wall at Warner HQ or even at the wedding would be um, would be very, very interesting. I was all – like, I don't know if – everyone's had an interesting relationship, I think, as a cricket fan with David Warner over the journey. And I actually was you know, probably back on, on Team Warner when he left um, at the SCG last week. Uh, nice moment, family out on the ground, really, you know, tastefully done, the, the spray paint on the field. All that was great. But I just – this one just really reeks of me, 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 me time. You know, I'm leaving my brother's wedding. I'm getting a chopper. It's going to land on the field. It's going to land on the same patch of grass that had my little thanks, Davey, uh, a week before. I mean, seriously, I, th- I think he'd done such a good job in the way that he spoke and used the media and stuff in, in the week leading up to his retirement. It was really tastefully done. This one, I don't know, this feels like a throwback to, you know, early 2010s, Davey. Um, I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, although I, I am, I've got to say, I'm going to be there early tonight because uh, I don't want to miss that helicopter land. I want to. It's, this is one of those real "where were you when" moments. But um, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like it sits particularly well. What do you, What do you boys think? I'm just picturing uh, Hammy for starters. Your parents. Most people have their second child. You know, the first child gets to two, three years old, and you're you're just getting out of the cot at two, two and a half years old, whatever it might be, and they're just going nuts. No, we've, we've nailed it. How do we improve on this? We're done. We'll, sit, we'll stay at one. So made the call early and uh, good luck to the yeah. fam. Uh, mate, I, I'm in a little bit <laughs> two minds because it does scream of Hollywood uh, Warner and, and wanting the centre of attention and all of that good stuff. But then 
on the other front, I'm like, it's the Sydney Thunder. They can't play finals. It's his brother's wedding. Like, is it worth all that effort, even for the headline moment? Maxi, what do you think? I mean, firstly, I think the obvious gag you missed there, Hammy, is that, you know, the Warner Brothers and just how Hollywood this is. Um, well look, I think that <laughs> if, realistically, if you were talking about Steve Smith and his commitment to a BBL game, to get a chopper from a different part of the state to fly in and land on the field, then we would be absolutely applauding his commitment and saying this club means something to him and the BBL means something to these Australian cricketers and they really want to put it on the map. But just because he's named David Warner, all we're seeing is the headlines and the paparazzi and the fanfare. But look, I think that this really proves how much the BBL means to these players and how much do they want to put on a show to what's going to be a sellout at the SCG. So I'm for it. Is it weird? Yeah. Could they have done this without having to talk about it? Probably. But in the end, I think you can't do anything but stand and applaud David Warner for his commitment to the Big Bash. Hammy? Yeah, I, I just wanted to just close by saying I think the big winner out of this whole um, circus has been uh, Sean Abbott uh, saying that he was going to be taking his line bike into the stadium as he does for every game. <laughs> and he looks forward to seeing Dave land on the field around the same time <laughs> he rides through the gates. So well played to, to Sean. Certainly less cover carbon footprint for sure. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you'd want to get some runs because if you fly in, land the chopper on there and you come out and get a first baller, that's a long journey for one ball. <laughs> Boys, I sat down with Simon Dool to chat about the IPL auction. The Indian Premier League auction has just come and gone. Mitchell Stark and Paddy Cummins, the spearhead of the Australian <laughs> pace bowling attack, they have shattered the records at the auction. Mitchie Stark going for 24.75 crore. Paddy Cummins, he actually broke the record about half an hour before Stark did <laughs> at 20.5 crore. Some phenomenal, phenomenal money. I, I sit there and obviously I, I, I know my cricket and, and I know bits and pieces, uh, but you look at the auction and, and I sort of thought the Australian captain, they're both very versatile bowlers. Mitch Stark, I guess he's more of a match winner, you know, take a poll when you need it. Um, but Paddy Cummins, a bit younger in age, a real public figure, like a real I, – I thought Cummins would have gone for more than Stark. Can you give us your thoughts, uh, whether you agree with that or disagree with it? Yeah, it's, it's a good point. I sort of thought with what Cummins offers with the bat and the captaincy side of things, yeah. he might have gone for a little bit more. But one thing that – one point that was made regularly throughout our discussions was that Mitch Stark kind of takes the pitch out of the equation. If you think about what he does with the new ball, swinging it, getting it really full, doesn't need conditions in his favour. He's not an into-the-surface seam-type bowler. And at the back end, if it's reversing, he takes the pitch out of it as well. Uh, so he doesn't necessarily need conditions in his favour to be highly successful. Um, and not that Pat Cummins always needs that either, but I just think in the, in the shortest format of the game, Cummins relies heavily on those cutters that he bowls. They don't always work on a great surface, on a really good flat pitch, whereas Stark can negate that just for, yep. with his genuine pace and, and full pitch deliveries. So uh, it's a great game of one-upsmanship, though, in the dressing room, that, isn't it? You know, I mean, you had it for half an hour, Paddy. I'm sorry, mate. You know, you know that's sort of, uh, yeah, you just, you just, I'll get the drinks this round, buddy. You're right. You know, that, that sort of thing will go on. I'm, I'm imagining throughout, the, uh, throughout the, the next couple of years for Australia. But look, uh, they're both terrific players. And, and, you know, it's nice to see Stark back. I wasn't sure he'd go for the price he went for purely and simply because of his history in the yeah. IPL. You know, he'd, he'd been in the auction. He'd pulled out. 
he'd been selected, he'd pulled out. You know, and, and the Indians do tend to have a bit of memory for that so, that side of things. So, uh, look, it surprised me somewhat that he went for the amount of money he did. Didn't surprise me that teams were going to be after both of them. I mean, they're both terrific players. Yeah, so if you're sitting at the table for Kolkata uh, and you've got the money to spend, you've got the purse, you've had a big year, and uh, who are you forking the the extra dollars out for out of the two? It sounds like Cummins. Which way are you leaning? Yeah, I, look, I think if I've got batting power, I'm going for Stark. If I've got a, if I've got enough batting, I'm going for Stark. If I need someone who can bat at that six, seven, or seven, eight position and offer me something, then I'm looking at Cummins all day long. And if I need a captain, and that's the other thing that I think the Sunrisers looked at, uh, Markram might not play every game for them. They haven't announced the captain. So Markram might not be playing every game. So they might have been looking down that track as well. And, um, you know, she loves a good-looking boy. She's picked up Aiden Markram and Pat Cummins in the last two years, the owner of, of Sunrisers. So she's all right with that. <laughs> not stupid, Dooley. Not stupid at all, mate. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Cheers, Dooley, for that. And now, boys, we move on to the World Team of the Week, the part of the show that we get you up to scratch on all the best performances in world cricket from the past week. In this instance... A few weeks between episodes over Christmas New Year. So it'll be the past week and a half, fortnight. We've scouted every major fixture, both domestic and international, around the world to vote on the World Team of the Week. At the Once we've named our team, we then give a 3-2-1 voting for the best performance in the world for the corresponding week. The votes go towards our Hall of Nations leaderboard. Each player's point goes towards the tally for their country. We'll determine the winning nation each month and keep an ongoing leaderboard all year round. This week, we're actually dating back to December 30th, starting from the UAE versus Afghanistan, first T20 game. Less cricket for them, so we thought we'd go back a little bit further to sneak that one in for them. Hammy's covering the big bash league, the game, since the 31st of the month. Maxi's got South Africa versus India, second test. Bangladesh versus New Zealand, first T20. Australia versus Pakistan, SCG test. I have Zimbabwe v Sri Lanka, three ODIs. UAE versus Afghanistan, three T20s. Maxi, I'll start with you, mate. We've got two opening slots to fill. Do you have any nominations? I do, and I've got a really good one as well. And Ooh. big shout-out to Aidan Markram. Now, this test match, the second between India and South Africa, it was a record-breaking one for a number of reasons. First, it was the shortest test match in record, uh, and that's of over 2,500 different matches. But then Aidan Markram, in a losing South African outfit, scored in the second innings 106 from 103 balls, which good effort of an, of, in and of itself. But when you think about the fact that his 106 came in a total of 176, and it just shows you how remarkable it was. The bloke was playing on a different pitch, and he is my nomination to take one of the opener slots in this Team of the Week. Hammy, what have you got? I've got a couple of opening nominations. Uh, first one has been outstanding in three games since the 31st. Uh, Matt Short, uh, who's put in returns of 74 or 44 against the Scorchers. Uh, he also had 76 or 51 also against the Scorchers, including uh, one for 11 off his three overs, uh, opening the bowling, opening the batting and the bowling, real sort of under 12 stuff from Matt Short, which we love to see. And then he also got 45 off 32. Um, with three sixes in that one as well. So he's contributing with bat and ball. He's in the one-day international squad and seems the obvious successor for Warner. I think he has had a tremendous couple of weeks, so I'm throwing him in there. The other guy I'm going to throw in there as an option, take him or leave him, 
I feel like we might need a wicketkeeper at some stage. So Ben McDermott, he hit 95 off 61 against the Strikers the other day in a losing effort, uh, five sixes in that one as well. So those are my nominations to open the batting. Keep Benny McDermott up your sleeve because I have a feeling, speaking pre-show, that we might be short on a wicketkeeper this week. And Benny McDermott, our middle order also might be a little light on. Benny batted at number four at one stage, I believe, since the new year. I haven't double-checked, but I reckon we can maybe slot him in at number four, should it be required. Boys, I have got Gerbaz from Afghanistan against the United Arab Emirates, 100 runs off 52, which is simply absurd. I've also nominated the skipper of the UAE in a historic win for their country against Afghanistan in, I believe, the second T20 Mohamed Wazim, 53 off 32 balls. They're my two nominations. Righto, boys, I'll lead us away. And as much as I want the UAA skipper in there, I'm going to nominate Gerbaz for his 100 off 52. Hammy, who's your best foot forward? Who do you like? Matty Short, all-rounder, um, doing it with the, the bat and the ball, and he's the future of the Australian oh. side. So I want to get him in there. I'm going to go against him based on the fact that it's not his fault that he's played three games in that time, but just additional games. I know it helps big performances. Maxi, who do you like? Markram, surely. Well, it's got to be Adam Markram. Uh, scored 60% of his team's runs in that uh, second innings for South Africa. So he's got one spot. And look, I think that maybe means I've got the deciding vote between uh, Gerbaz and Matt Short. And I'm feeling a little bit like we might need an all-rounder, so why not? give Matt Short the nod oh. uh, to open the batting with Markram for the week. It's just yep. that Afghanistan Great guy decision. coming out in there. Seen it before, <laughs> seen it, we'll see it again. No. Boys, moving on to the batting slots three to five. We're a bit slim here. I'll kick us off. Asalanka for Sri Lanka in their fixture against Zimbabwe. 101 off 95 balls in a total of 273. I've also got Leonagi from Sri Lanka also against Zimbabwe. 95 runs off 127 balls. Not overly exciting, but that's what I've got. Maxi, you don't have much for us. No, slim pickings when you looked across the Sydney test. It was relatively low scoring uh, after that first innings for both teams uh, and not many runs to write home about apart from uh, Markram in South Africa, India. And similarly, Bangladesh versus New Zealand, a couple of washouts over there um, and a low scoring thriller in the T20. We'll get to a player in that later, but no one in the top order. So what do you got, Hammy? All right, well, the first one that I just have to chuck in is uh, Jakey Weatherald, 80 off 32 rocks last night, including five sixes. Uh, in Hobart, we obviously he's gone there to play state cricket this year, um, but he's back with the strikers, went down there, slotted in beautifully with Chris Lynn out of action. So I've got to put Jakey Weatherald in at number three. To be honest with you, it has been pretty slim pickings through uh, the last couple of weeks of the Big Bash in terms of your top top five batters or your three to five spots. So I'm going to take your advice from earlier, Timmy, and I reckon I'm going to slide Benny McDermott down to number four for his 95 off uh, 61. Uh, We need a keeper, so lock in Benny. Let's get him in there. Let's get him in there. In Benny's defence, fair knock. Yeah, absolutely. And the Hurricanes did not make many in that either. Correct, exactly. So um, happy to throw him in there. The other one... If you're happy to have him, and look, um, not as not as impressive in terms of strike rate as Jakey Weatherald, but Chris Lynn, the bloke that he replaced, mm. he had an 83 or 42 uh, against the Stars. 
Um, and he's also chimed in with a 37 off 26 against the Canes as well. So he did tee off in that game, particularly against the Stars, and he's been reasonably consistent when he hasn't been injured. Obviously, he's heading off to uh, to another competition now as well. But those, those are probably my three standouts for those three to five spots from the Big Bash. Yeah, mate, we have not much to go against you. Um, Benny McDermott's 95 was of a total of 165. So yeah. that's that's good going. That's yeah. real good going. Uh, so we'll lock those three in. Weatherald, McDermott, Lynn, bit of Aussie bias, and you might be sitting here there listening from India or you might be listening from England, wherever it might be in the world going, oh, there's just a bunch of Aussies, too much Aussie bias. Look, we're going to get to the Indian Premier League and the Vitality Blast where there's going to be a lot of Poms, a lot of Indians, and it'll come around. So in 12 months' time, it'll all balance itself out. Uh, also, the Aussies didn't get a vote last week in our Hall of Nations leaderboard, so time to tell. Yep. Boys, our number – what have we got here? Six. Okay, Benny McDermott has been shifted down to number six. Look, I know it's not technically correct, but he is in our wicketkeeping slot – which means Asalanka from Sri Lanka with his 101 off 95. It's not the strongest performance you're ever going to see in Team of the Week, but he's found his way into this team. So Happy with that. Um, Boys, so Asalanka at four, Benny McDermott at six. Into our bowling contingent, we are picking five. I will throw up my nominations to start. And... Look, we might even, you know what? I'm going to go one better. Aslanka gone because I had Muhammad Nabi in like an all rounder role because he did it both. Muhammad Nabi, 47 off 27. That was in the loss to the UAE. He also took one for 14 off two over. So I'm going to slot Nabi, Nabi in there. The president. Uh, in, to- in front of uh, Aslanka. So sorry about that one, mate, but he's in. Uh, boys, bowlers, I have. Al Nasir, Ali Nasir, I should say, four for 24 off four overs for the UAE against Afghanistan. Madhushanka from Sri Lanka against Zimbabwe. Get this one. The match was ended by rain. They only got a handful of overs in. When the game ended, he opened the bowling and had two wickets for zero runs off two overs. Small sample size, but you can't really beat that. Two wicket maidens. Uh, I've also got... Nagarava for Zimbabwe. Apologies if I have pronounced that wrong. Five for 32 off 10 overs. That was defending only 208 runs for Zimbabwe. Uh, and I've also got Tikshana, four for 31 off 9.4 overs. Uh, a bit there, boys, but I had some good performances. Maxi, I'll throw to you. What have you got for us? Yeah, thanks, Timmy, mate. They've got a few bangers in there, which is pretty yeah, good, but I think strong. I can rival that with a few performances here myself. So firstly, uh, Mohamed Siraj, the Indian quick six for 15 he got uh, in the first innings of that test match but uh, against South Africa, which is uh, amazing figures. Didn't get his 10 for, for the game, but six for 15, that's, that's one to... Right home about. I hope you got the match ball uh, for that innings at least. <laughs> yeah. uh, Mitchell Santner, Kiwi all-rounder, who um, always liked. Uh, looks a little bit like Hammy. Um, he got four for 16 and then with the bat, 18 off 20 to steer his side to victory uh, in that first T20 against Bangladesh. 
brilliant all-round display from him. So I think he is a big shout for a spot, maybe as high as seven uh, in our team of the week. Um, hard to go past Pat Cummins as well. Captain Planet, his third Pfeiffer in a row, five for 61 in the first innings against Pakistan. And the guy who I'm so glad he's in my team because I think he might have a shout later for our player of the week is Amir Jamal, six for an 82 from 97 oh, yeah. as well. I reckon he's got to be in there, boys. <laughs> Uh, if we're serious about this. Yeah. Some strong options there. Um, We've got a bit to work through there. Uh, Leaving the middle order for dead. Hammy, what have you got? Well, I I think I've just, I don't think I've got anything to mix it with some of your big match winners that you boys have brought to the table, but I'll just fire through a couple anyway. Um, Ashton Agar, very hard to ignore his two for six off four overs Mm. um, out at the showgrounds the other day. Uh, That is remarkable. An an economy rate of 1.5 in T20 cricket off your full complement that is worth at least a nom for team of the week if ever i've seen one uh michael nisa as well he had a good game the other day 64 off 30 uh and two for 33 we're looking for bowlers though that his bowling probably doesn't quite cut the mustard there to, mm. to make the final 11 I, I, i'd probably have to say um two more here lance morris five for 24 off his four against the strikers um in a, in a big game over at, uh, at Optus Stadium. And then the last one here, another miserly performance. In fact, three of them from Cameron Boyce uh, from the Strikers. Uh, how's the, how are these figures? None for 15 off his four against the Stars, two for 13 off his four against the Hurricanes, and two for 17 off his four Jeez. against the Hurricanes again. So they can't get him away, Cameron Boyce. Could we find a spot for him uh, maybe in a T20 squad um, if we're looking for a couple of extra spinners to – to get over there. Honourable mention has to go to Fergus O'Neill for me. Two for 25 on debut for the Renegades. Extra points for bowling in long sleeves as well. Brownless. Um, yeah. Big brown. <laughs> now, now, for, now, yeah, long sleeves, brownless. I actually had the pleasure of playing with long sleeves, brownless when he was coming through uh, the grades <laughs> at Melbourne in, in fourth grade cricket about 10 years ago. I reckon he had the pleasure of playing with you, Hammy. <laughs> well, interesting. He was a little, this little uh, loudmouth, voice hadn't broken, 15 years old or thereabouts, and he, he didn't even bowl. He was a batter. And uh, I couldn't believe it when you fast forward, what was it, eight or nine years, and he was actually opening the bowling for, for Victoria and doing really well. So, look, I don't know if those figures are going to get him into the team. In fact, I can almost certainly guarantee they won't. But I do love seeing... <laughs> opening bowlers with long sleeves uh, and a rat's tail and some earrings to boot. So keep doing you, Fergo Neil. Mate, he ticks a lot of boxes, so pretty hard to argue with, to be honest. Boys, I am pretty happy off the bat. Like, we really do need, you know, we're a heavy bowling order. We need a pretty decent all-rounder in there. I'm happy to lock in Mitch Santner, Amir Jamal and Mohamed Siraj. Are we okay with that in three of our five spots? No qualms from me. No issue here. Yeah, um, Jamal outstanding with the bat as well. That'll come in handy for our World Eleven team of the week. I'm also going to nominate in my side. There's two more spots to fill. I'm going to throw Nagarava in there for his five thirty-two off ten, and Teek Sharna four thirty-one off nine point four. Hammy, you who do you want to put forward for the last two spots? Agar. Yeah, look, my, 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 the two that I'll throw up are two spinners, Agar and um, Cameron Boyce as well. I just wonder, we've already got a left-arm spinner in the side in Santa. Are we unbalancing ourselves by throwing another one in there? And they were spin-friendly conditions at the showgrounds. <laughs> well, I'd yeah, like to think maybe just for his consistent approach, Cameron Boyce I think might be my, um, my miserly leg spin option that I throw up this week. And Maxie, anyone else in yours you wanted uh, that are competitive with us or not? Pat Cummins, Pfeiffer, hard to walk past. Jasper Brummer, another shout-out. 
probably didn't have the economy rate, but six for 61 in that second innings of the test match. But, man, I'm happy to throw it to a couple of spinners this week. Uh, yeah. Going with a different balance uh, in our 11, which I'm not against. Right, well, let's go with Cameron Boyce for three very, very tidy performances. Uh, Nagarava or Tikshana Boyce, who do we like? 532 off 10 or 431 off 10? I'm happy to give it to the Zimbabwean. Yeah, I, you took the words right out of my mouth. Good to see a couple of Zimbabweans in the squad. Yeah. And at five for not many, defending a pretty low total, um, I'm happy to throw him in. Yep. Boys, the world, the world 11 team of the week, Matty Short, Aiden Markram opening. Uh, in the middle order, we've got Jake Rett, Weatherald, Chris Lynn, Muhammad Nabi, Benny McDermott also taking the gloves. Mitchell Santner in a key all-rounder role that we will need. Richard Nagarava, Amir Jamal, Cameron Boyce, and Muhammad Siraj. So pretty tidy side there. Righto, boys, the 3-2-1 vote. We're going to nominate a couple of names each and then work it out from there. I'm going to put forward Muhammad Siraj uh, for his outstanding figures and Aidan Markram. Look, on paper, probably not the most impressive performance there, but uh, in that total, I think that's phenomenal and doing it what more than a, quicker than a runner ball as well. Maxi, who have you got? Mate, not going to argue too much. Aidan Markram, 60% of his team runs. He char- uh, challenged the great Charles Bannerman uh, for the highest percentage of team runs in a completed innings, uh, which was 67.34%. Of course, you've got to get to two decimal points when you're talking about cricket stats. Um, <laughs> and Amir Jamal as well, who's fantastic with the yeah. series and fantastic in Sydney. Um, I'd be very happy with either of them, uh, just given that he probably did it on our shores. I've maybe mm. got Jamal just in front. Yeah. I've actually gone, um, Maxi, the control C, control V from you uh, there. I've got Jamal and Markram. And I, I agree, the, the added degree of difficulty for Jamal coming over here, traditionally where uh, Pakistani players haven't done particularly well in the last little while. He really had a, a crack right the way through the series and culminated in a great all-round performance. So I've got him up the top. And then Aiden Markram, can't ignore that. And it's always nice getting a ton in a losing side as well. So well done, Aiden. <laughs> you, can, um, you can have my little nomination as well. Well, boys, I think that's made our homework easy. Markram got three votes, Jamal got two, and Siraj got one. So are we have to go with that three, two, one. Let's Absolutely. do it, and all three from my team as well. <laughs> all righty, boys, that is that. The Hall of Nations leaderboard after two weeks of the podcast is as follows. England, India, and South Africa all on three points. Pakistan on two, and Bangladesh on one. Boys, that will wrap it up. For this week's podcast, Hammy, mate, big as always, good to have you. Thanks very much, Timmy. I've got to go now um, and make sure I get a good spot at the SCG to see this helicopter come in. So uh, <laughs> thanks for a great show, and I'll talk to you boys very soon. Yeah, good luck, mate. Enjoy the show of your own. And Maxie Bryden, as always, thank you, mate. Appreciate it, Tim, Hammy, and all the listeners. Hope you enjoyed this, and yeah, looking forward to future trips to come. Cheers, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.